You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, which are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 88 by Rudolf Steiner, translated by James Hines, entitled Concerning the Astral World and Devakon, Notes from Sixteen Lectures by Rudolf Steiner. This is Lecture 5, entitled The Character of Astral Processes, given in Berlin on November 25, 1903. In the previous lecture, I spoke of the beings that can be found in the astral world. I characterized the occupants of that world by distinguishing between those that are presently incarnated and those that are not presently incarnated. Today I would like to speak about the processes and events in astral space, and I would like to characterize in general concerning how we are to imagine the events there. Of course, we can give only a very general sketch, because the world that we encounter there is so overwhelmingly huge that everyone who has once entered this world is overwhelmed by the fullness of appearances. So no one can describe the entire astral world from his or her own experience. Just as no one has ever seen the entire physical world, neither has anyone ever seen the entire astral world. Since the multiplicity of the astral world is by far greater than that of the physical earth, you can imagine that there is much in the astral world concerning which a single individual can give no report. Nevertheless, an individual can describe a small piece. Among the events in the astral world, I include encounters with beings that we cannot meet in the physical world, or only under exceptional circumstances. The astral world is the place where beings from different worlds can meet, so to speak. They meet exactly the same way people in the course of their earthly lives can meet others. We may sometimes meet another person who lives in an entirely different place, perhaps walk together with him or her for a short stretch, then lose them and never again meet them. Just as this can happen on a small scale, so too it can occur in a larger context. In this way we can explain certain things in the astral world. As human beings, it has not always been the case that we incarnate in a physical body between birth and death, but rather, through a process of cosmic development, we have reached the point that we must pass through three stations, through life between birth and death, through life in Kamaloka, and through life in Devakan. Not all beings must pass through these three stages, and we human beings have also had a period that preceded our present in which we stood much closer to the astral world. Before we had achieved the ability to incarnate in the physical world, we were beings who lived purely in the astral world, with sense organs for the astral. Our eyes and ears were developed from the astral senses, only in the course of millions of years, into the physical form they have today. We were astral beings and we will again become astral beings in the course of our evolution. We now stand in the fifth root race of the fourth round, that is, the fifth epoch of humanity, within the fourth round of earth evolution. 
We developed ourselves through the four preceding epochs, and we will reincarnate in the three following epochs. Then the form that our planet now has will be dissolved, and another form will take its place. We human beings, too, will have another form, different from our present earthly form. Then we will not reincarnate in the same way we do today. We will again be astral beings. We will not make use of the sense organs we have today, but rather we will be astral beings that act in the astral world. We were beings of soul, and we will be beings of soul again, when the physical sphere of earth will have fulfilled its task. We pass through seven so-called races, often through very difficult conditions, and in the future we will once again be in an astral condition and lead an entirely different existence. In the past we were entirely passive beings, devoted to the impressions from the external world, before our physical body was condensed down into a physical essence. Only through this core of our physical body did it become possible for us to set our muscles into movement in order to carry out earthly tasks. We will, once again, be transformed from passive to active beings. Everything that we have taken up into ourselves from earth, what we have processed, will have been ripened in us as fruit. We will become active, quote, beings of activity, close quote. We are still living even today in the astral world because we carry around with us something of our earlier astral forms because past and future interpenetrate within us. And we can develop our spiritual eye, E-Y-E, in such a manner that we become just as seeing in the astral world as an average person is in the physical world. People are not aware of this because their astral eye has not been opened, but the eye of the spiritual student will gradually be opened. Those who have gone through the training can expect that their astral eye will be opened so that they can see what is described in theosophical literature. We are citizens of both the physical world and the astral world. In the astral world, students will also meet beings that do not belong to our earth, never belong to it, and never will. These beings have passed through different evolutions. They come from an entirely different side of the world. They are crossing through our astral plane. They are merely traveling along with us for a stretch of our way through the astral world. They are like comets that pass through our solar system. Such beings are strangers in our human evolution. Their evolution in the astral world will be very different from ours. They are together with us only for a short way, and then continue on with their own evolution in a way that has nothing further to do with ours. These are facts spoken of in the mystical writings of all times. These beings, which have been given various names in mystical writings, represent nothing more than inhabitants of the earth, whose evolution takes place apart from ours. They are so-called elemental beings or elemental spirits. What they experience through human beings is just as foreign as what human beings experience when they enter astral space. For the most part, they behave in a way that rejects what approaches them from the physical world. Chelas will experience 
manifold attacks from these beings. They can be attracted to these elemental beings and thereby easily distracted from their predestined path. These beings display sympathies or antipathies toward what approaches them from our human sphere. This has not always been the case. In earlier times, they were not as negative toward physical human beings. Now, however, they have a great antipathy toward everything coming from the physical world. These phenomena from the astral world have indeed often been described in pictures. People regard much of it as mere folk superstition and do not know that there are truths at the foundation of the old writings. In the Middle Ages, these beings, which never have had a physical existence, were called gnomes, undines, sylphs, and salamanders. It is naturally easy to speak of these things, but only those who can distinguish between superstition and truth are speaking responsibly about such things. Superstition appears on various levels. There is not just one single kind of superstition that can afflict us when we believe in any particular appearance that is not really present. Indeed, superstition can also be present in the greatest scholars, even in those who believe they have researched nature from every angle. Faith in matter can also be a superstition. Students must have reached the second stage of vision, spiritual vision, in order to distinguish between physical reality and illusion. Then they also learn to recognize what in the literature concerning elemental beings is grounded in reality and what is mere fantasy. Elemental beings do not necessarily present themselves as particularly highly developed beings. They do not pass through birth and death as human beings do. Only a very few have undergone anything like a human evolution, and most of them are not headed toward an evolution like that. Many come from other planets, similar to comets, and disappear again and continue their existence elsewhere. What these beings achieve is not without its influence on human beings. Much of what occurs in the human astral body can be traced back to the effects of these beings. Such processes that unfold in the human astral body are explainable only to someone who can see in astral space. On the astral plane, there are also such beings as stand higher than human beings. Religions that know something about esotericism speak of such higher beings. The Hindu religion, for example, speaks of devas. Also in the Christian religion, such beings are spoken of. In Christianity, this knowledge was gradually lost, but there are still some circles of people who know of these beings. Devas take on a certain, quote, bodily nature, close quote, just as we take our physical body from the substance of nature, and just as our physical body is the lowest body possible for us, so the lowest body for the Kama Devas is the astral. It is composed of astral matter, which is appropriate to their evolutionary stage. Other devas are called rupa devas. They live in devakan, which we pass through between death and a new birth. The material of rupa devas is the mental body, that of the arupa devas the causal body. 
The causal body is concerned with what draws us from incarnation to incarnation. Physical matter is what passes away, flies away. The corpse is given back to the earth, to the chemical and physical forces of the earth. Even the astral body and the lower mental body are dissolved after death. There remains only one soul in us, which returns again and again to a new incarnation, so that evolution reaches its goal in order then to begin a new development. This one soul is woven from the matter of the causal body in which we can have retrospective memories of previous lives and therein recognize all our evolution. Those who know this realize that Buddha did not give a mere picture when he said, quote, I remember earlier lives. I remember how I was born here or there, how I helped, had children. I remember the creation of worlds and the passing away of the worlds I have passed through, close quote, and so forth. This was spoken by this highly evolved individuality who has already achieved the development that human beings will arrive at only in the sixth round. In the sixth round, we will have a purely spiritual existence. Buddha has already developed to that stage. He achieved the ability to see higher conditions. Ordinary people will have achieved this only later. One day we will all see our previous conditions of evolution pass before us. This is a result of the fact that something always remains, namely the finest materiality of the causal body. And the higher kinds of devas, the arupa devas, are formed of this materiality. These are the three kinds of devas we can meet in the astral world, kama devas, rupa devas, and arupa devas. We first meet those that consist of astral matter, but the other devas have the ability to spin astral matter around themselves so that they can be seen by astral seers. By means of moving around freely in astral space, human beings can come into contact with devas and an exchange of thoughts can occur. The development to higher knowledge, the evolution to become an adept, a master, consists in this, achieving what is spoken of in individual occult writings. Quote, the adept makes himself or herself of service to the gods. Close quote. Adepts gradually reach the point when they can work in these higher worlds, and among those who help them with their deeds are beings that are not merely human beings, but also such beings that never step into our earthly sphere. The intelligence of many devas is, however, lower than the wisdom of Buddha. Their sacrificial love and wisdom-filled creative power is not as great as his. Human beings can come to possess such a degree of this power that they tower above most of these devas that we meet. Then they make themselves useful. Much of what happens occurs because these adepts have as their helpers, deva beings, who never come into our physical spheres. Until the 15th century, people knew about these things. But in the 14th century and at the beginning of the 15th, they lost any sense for the messages from the devas. Nothing more was said about these things in the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. No one had any knowledge of these things. 
except in extremely small intimate circles. This was the time when the power of the understanding was developed. It is possible today to once again lecture concerning these truths, at least in part, that are related to the devas, concerning whom absolute silence ruled for centuries. But now it is possible to speak because spiritual events that are enormous and full of significance are coming toward the present state of human evolution, and because human beings must be equipped to face these events. The next thing that will happen very soon can be characterized by saying that human beings will behold the background of good and evil to an entirely different extent. They will look deeply into the threads woven by the powers. They will see their weaving in the world, which will appear to the people of the present time as a net of good and evil. This truth will be knowledge of endless significance. And now there is the possibility of acquiring this knowledge of good and evil. These are enormous things that have just been spoken of, but there are still other things that take place in the astral world. I will now relate some of them for you. Human beings must become aware that at every moment of their lives they also live in astral space. Just as physical facts can be seen with physical eyes, so too is it, it is possible to see in astral space. For example, it can be seen that a wish that arises within you streams outward like a cloud. Every thought that is a wish goes forth from you like a force and streams into the astral world. Some thoughts are shaped like lightning, others like a fine cloud formation. What is like a force in your thoughts is fashioned into arrows or into beneficial thought clouds. Rays and star formations are also formed. Everything takes on gestalt and form the further it gets away from us. Everything has a protean-like nature. Everything changes its gestalt and color. It is possible to recognize what kind of thought a human being sends out into the world from its color and shape. If you send out a thought filled with anger, it goes out from you like a ray of lightning through the air to the astral body of the other person. This can be seen. Whether the thought moves quickly through the room is determined by the intensity of the wish, and the color in which it appears depends upon the character of the wish. Angry thoughts that rage appear brown-red to blood-red. Thoughts with a quiet, contemplative character filled with goodwill appear with an intensive blue-to-violet coloring. Sharp-witted, incisive, logical thoughts you can see as yellow star formations that spin into one another. Cellas learn to consciously call forth such thought forms in astral space by learning the laws of the astral and mental worlds. Those who are cellas know full well how the thoughts they send out into the astral world continue to work. This is what cella development consists of, becoming ever more and more conscious of this fact and sending out only thoughts for the benefit of humankind. This is one of the deep truths that theosophy leads people to see. The happenings in astral space are happenings that surround us all the time. They are occurring 
in our environment all the time. They are higher facts than those of our physical world. In the time between death and a new birth, the human being passes through these higher worlds. Chalas can enter these regions consciously before they experience death. The development of human beings in Kamaloka, what awaits human beings when they cross over the threshold at death, will be a topic of a separate lecture. Today I wanted only to touch on these things that are not connected with this special character. I have omitted everything that can be discussed in connection with Kamaloka and Devakan, which you will hear about in the sixth and last lecture of this series. I have shown you that human beings are descended from higher worlds and that they will again go into higher worlds. There is much that occurs here that has its origin in a higher world. The instruction a cella receives also takes place in a higher world. A cella may receive instruction in the physical world, but that is not the most important instruction. The instruction received in higher spheres is more important. There are proceedings with human beings in the higher spheres of which people in ordinary life are not conscious. Human beings with their ordinary power of understanding can know something of this only if the knowledge is brought to them. One way to see into higher worlds is to receive reports concerning that world. It is not unnecessary first to receive reports of these higher worlds. What has been reported sinks down into the spiritual part of people and will in any case become alive in them in future life. That which is sowed as seed today will produce fruit in the future. This was a statement of Paul the Christian initiate, quote, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap, Close quote. And that is the end of Lecture 5.